you have a Bible, you might like to turn to Revelation chapter 3, because this whole series is based on a verse or two verses from there. Uh, You might remember that our vision statement, I hope you do, is by 2020, Crawley Baptist Church will be bursting with life. Don't worry so much about the date, focus on the bursting with life. Um, If you've been around a while, you'll know that in order to get to that, we have things we call thrusts. One of our thrusts is this, it's everyday life. And we say this about what we'd like to see in everyday life. We will be seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary as we live fruitful lives in all the places that we go. We will be seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary as we live fruitful lives in all the places that we go. I think this sermon series sits in that place. And so as we go through this, I hope that's what happens or it helps us to happen. It helps us at least to think about it. That will be my prayer. Open doors are an invitation of opportunity. Open doors are opportunities with possibility. Open doors present the possibility of something exciting. Open doors invite us to something new. And we're going to plunge into a new series this morning. It's a series about open doors. You may have already figured that out. I've called this series, Where Do We Go From Here? Because it's a series, I think, really, ultimately about guidance, finding out what it is God wants us to do and then doing it. And we all struggle with that, don't we? We all find ourselves asking the question, how do we know what to do? Ever asked that question? I certainly have. And it really, I think, is the same question as, where do we go from here? So I've called this series, Where Do We Go From Here? Now I'm assuming that we all want to know what it is that God wants us to do with our lives. Fair assumption? We're all in the place where we want that. And that therefore we spend a lot of our time trying to figure out what it is that God would have us do. Am I roughly on the right lines here? Okay. We do that, I think, because we think to be a good Christian, we must follow God's path. Often we would say God's will for my life. Ever said that? Got to figure out what God's will is, got to do it. And so we spend lots of energy, maybe we pray a lot, maybe we spend a lot of time working out what it is that God has lined up for us to do. And my best guess is that we live with two fears as a result of that way of thinking. The first is that however hard we try, we simply won't find out what it is that God wants us to do. Ever been there? Of course you have. You desperately want to know what it is that God wants you to do, and somehow you can't figure it out. However much we ask him, he doesn't seem to tell us, not at least in ways we can understand. And the second is this, that if God does tell us in a way that we can understand, we won't like whatever it is he tells us. It's the fear that somehow God's plan for my life will be different from the one that I hold in my heart. A couple of years ago, I read a fantastic book by my favorite author, John Altberg, about this whole area of life. And I have based 
unashamedly this series on that book because I think it's got some great stuff in it for people like you and me. We're not going to do it all because it'll be too long. The book and therefore this series are based on two verses, really one verse, in Revelation written to the church in Philadelphia. So if you have a Bible, you might like to turn to chapter 3 of Revelation. I'm going to read verse 7 and 8. The angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, the open door to the church in Philadelphia is the door of opportunity. And if you want to go back, we did this church in a series on Revelation called Round Church. It's on the new website. You can go and find the sermon that I preached about this. And then you can get the context of Revelation, Philadelphia, and the opportunity. Because I'm not going to talk about it now. But it is a door of divine possibility for that church. And the door of divine possibility is the great adventure of life... Because it means the possibility of being useful to God. The question for the church in Philadelphia is how are they going to respond to an open door? And it seems to be the question for us too. There is a theology, which I would love to spend a long time talking about, but which I won't. But there is a theology of, that has a view of the way life works. God has a plan, a blueprint for how your life should go. There is, of course, only one plan, since, of course, it's God's, and God knows best. And our job is to figure out that plan and follow it exactly. When we do that, we will live as good Christians, and we will, of course, be living in our first choice world, because it's God's choice for us. Now, there is a security in that way of thinking. After all, this is God's plan. There are, I think, though, some significant problems with this theology, and you are already, I guess, thinking about some of them. At least, I think you are if you're listening. What if I miss God's plan? Seems to me that that is highly likely... Since sometimes it's really hard to know what God's plan is. Ever made a mistake? Oops. What do I do then? Where does that leave me if I miss God's plan? And what if, this might be worse, what if everything goes, has gone according to God's plan? How am I to understand the more difficult, the more challenging, the more devastating things that have happened in my life? Am I just supposed to accept them as God's plan? I think it's better than that. Because I think God is the God of open doors. And the God of open doors is much, much better than that. I also think that it's much more complex than simply finding a plan. Now, we could talk about that for ages. If you want to come and talk to me, I'd love to talk to you about that. 
We can't address all the issues I've just raised in this sermon series. That's always the problem with raising them. Then you don't address them all. But we're going to try and address some. And I do honestly believe with my whole heart that this is helpful stuff. And my prayer is that for all of us, it will help to release us to live our lives adventurously for God. I also really hope that it will give us the confidence to step out and become people who are bursting with life and who will be seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary in all the places we go because we're living fruitful lives as we follow God. Behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. An open door is the greatest adventure of life because it means the possibility of being useful to God. And God, friends, is still in the business of open doors. And just like the church in Philadelphia, we have to figure out how we will respond. So, by way of introduction, here are some important things about open doors. First, God can open a door for anybody. The Bible is full of examples of open doors that God placed before someone. God says to Abraham, go to the land I will show you. That's an open door. Abraham has a choice. Do I walk through the door that God has placed before me, the door of opportunity to be useful to God, or do I go a different way? He chooses to walk through that door, and you probably know the story that follows. Abraham, you probably know, was 75 years old when God placed that door before him. Mary was a young girl when an angel came and told her that she would bear a son and she would call him Jesus. Her response is, may it be to me as you have said. You ever wonder what would have happened if Mary said no? And you know the story that follows. Mary was probably a teenager of about 14 years old. When I was 20, I met a man called Chris. He was the curate of the church that I'd grown up in. He came there while I was there. And he was at the time the leader of Nevin Beach Mission. One day he invited me to go with him on the team to Nevin that summer. Everything within me wanted to say no. If you want to know why I wanted to say no, come talk to me afterwards. I'm not going to tell you now. To be honest, it was the last thing I wanted to do. But because I liked him, I said yes. And that yes changed my life. One of the reasons I didn't want to go was because at the time I was feeling like an abject failure and the last thing I wanted to be doing was standing up in front of a group of children. But that's what you do on a beach mission. You stand up in front of a group of children. To the church in Philadelphia, God says, I know your strength is small. What a gift to know that open doors are not reserved for the specially talented or the extraordinarily strong. God opened a door for me at one of the lowest times in my life and that door changed my life. I would not be standing here now, and you might be thinking, he should never have walked through the door then, if I had not walked through that door. If God can do it for me then, he can do it for you now. Second, God can open a door 
in any circumstance. Um, actually, interesting, I was watching Hitler and Ava Brown last night because here in the notes is this. Victor Frankl in the concentration camps of the Second World War who said this. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. The truth that Frankel found himself, even in the most traumatic of circumstances, is that doors are not just physical. A door is a choice. When all the outer doors were closed to him, literally in a concentration camp in the Second World War, he found that far more important was the door to his heart. And the door to the heart is the door of which you are completely in control. It is the door to freedom. There is always a door. Sometimes the open door is not the door to a new place. Sometimes it's about a new opportunity previously not seen in an old place. Open doors in the Bible never exist just for the sake of the person who is offered it. They involve opportunity, but it's the opportunity to bless someone else. An open door does not exist solely for my benefit, however exciting it might be for me. And an open door is not a guarantee of the future either. Open doors offer opportunity, mystery, possibility, but not certainty. There is no blueprint. An open door doesn't mean a smooth journey. It means risk. And to find out what's on the other side of the door... You have to go through. Thirdly, God can open doors very quietly. Great question, you may answer. Does God have any frustrating characteristics? That's not a trick question. That's a really honest question, right? Because I think the answer is yes. Yes. And this, for me, goes back to this theology thing I was talking about at the beginning. I do believe that God places before us open doors. But very rarely will he tell us which door to go through. That is a most frustrating characteristic, don't you think? I don't know about you, but I lie in bed some nights when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm praying, God, what shall I do? What shall I do? What do I do? What do I do? Never seem to get an answer. In fact, sometimes it really annoys me that God doesn't tell me. Sometimes it takes me almost to the brink of despair. Truth is, friends, most of the time we have to struggle with the thoughts we have when faced with the choice between open doors. And you'll notice there are two doors here. That's because there's usually more than one. 
I was going to call them open door number one and open door number two. You'll notice on the picture here, Ian came up with this great thing that only had one door on it, and I said, you need to put more doors on it. Because very rarely is there just one door. Maybe sometimes, but very rarely. I believe there's a reason for that. Let me be really honest with you for a moment. I think I've been long enough, uh, here long enough to get away with this. For the first ten years or so of my ministry here, it was really, really good. Um, wasn't without its challenges, but we moved into this building. We were growing. New ministries were flourishing. I came to the conclusion that I must be a good minister for all that to be happening in this church in Crawley when it wasn't necessarily happening in other churches and not even all the churches in Crawley. Then it got really, really tough. Really tough. I made some mistakes, but even in my darkest moments... I I would lie awake at night in bed and think, I can't be responsible for everything that seems to be going on because that's where my mind goes. Must Must be my fault. We had some people leave. Truth is, we've always had that. If you stay in a church long enough, it's like a little thing. People move around. But we had more people leave. We had some marriages that were really beginning to struggle some of them went quite wrong and we don't see those people now don't know if you've noticed that but take a look around and see who's not here into the mix came a couple of offers from other churches why don't you come over here in and be our minister got me thinking maybe the best thing i could do is just go The problem is that ministers are supposed to have a call. You know that thing we talk about? You don't get it, but ministers do, right? (laughs) By the way, that is complete and utter nonsense. And I I also think that ministry has been put on a pedestal it should never have been put on. You can come and talk to me about about that as well if you want. So what I do is no more important than what you do. It's just different. And your call is just as important as my call. And And maybe you should have a call if you haven't got one, you need to maybe go and talk to God about that. Oh dear, I've just set up a whole load of angst for you. <laughs> anyway, minister's supposed to have a call. Nothing dramatic seemed to be happening in my heart. I might, no call. But a change was tempting. For one thing, it would mean I could leave all the rubbish behind, a fresh start. They'd give me a couple of years' grace and think I was great at least until they got to know me. I could walk away from the things I found really difficult. That was really attractive. One church was a much bigger church. That sounded great, soothed my ego. Sometimes people talk about promotion in the church. What a lot of nonsense that is. Gee whiz, don't ever say that to a minister. When you go, see, people say this to me. When you go from here in, you'll go to a bigger church, won't you? Huh? Well, you need to go and sort that out if you think that. It's nothing to do with that. One church was about the same size, and I thought, like for like, maybe I could do that. One church was smaller. Surely that would be less pressure, more time to do what I really want. They didn't come all at once, but I had to struggle because I got no call, nothing dramatic. But what I did have to do, and this is the point, what I did have to do was wrestle with my thoughts, my motives, and my dreams. Sometimes, and in case you're wondering that I don't think this ever happens, and you think I am really a heretic, maybe this will help you. 
Sometimes God does seem to tell us what to do. A burning bush. An angel of light. An audible voice. Sometimes. But mostly, God says, you choose. You figure it out. Here's door number one and here's door number two. You figure it out. Because he knows that, it's in the struggle that we grow. And he's most interested, not in which door. What he's most interested in is the condition of our hearts. Door number one and door number two might both be fine. You figure it out. Door number three might be a big no-no. We'll come to that in a minute. In Revelation, God says through John that he has placed before them an open door. Literally translated, it would be opened door. That's the tense. This is a Jewish written way to say that an open door was a door that God himself had already opened. In other words, the point that John and God is making is that in open doors, God is at work. We need to remember that. And when we walk through an open door, it is a God-given opportunity to work with and for God. Abraham had no idea to the place where he was going, but he went. God didn't tell him. He said, go to the land I will show you. And Abraham went. It may be true to say that the whole history of the Bible hinges on that moment. What would God have done if Abraham had said, no, I'm not going? His father-in-law went with him for a bit and then stopped, but Abraham went. What an adventure for both Abraham and, dare I say, God. Come on, we'll do this thing together. Lastly, God can use a wrong door... To shape a right heart. Oh my goodness, that is such, such good news, brothers and sisters. God can use a wrong door to shape a right heart. If the blueprint theology of only one plan is correct, then my best guess is that most of us, all of us, have already messed it up big time. Long before we came into this service today. What does God do then? But it's better than that. Much, much better than that. James, in his letter, says, If anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God for some. He doesn't say we should ask God which door to go through, but for the wisdom that helps us decide. That's because God's primary will for your life and mine is that we become magnificent people in the image of God, someone with the character of Jesus. That is what is most important. His primary will for your life, and if you believe this now, I really hope you can wrestle with this and get rid of it, because I think it's really unhelpful. His primary will for your life is not what you might achieve, not what you might accrue. It's not what job you take. It's not where you live. It's not whether or not you get married. It's not primarily situational or circumstantial. It's better than that. It's about your heart. 
What God most wants is for you to become a magnificent person who is, and we got this bit right at least, bursting with life. And you may be able to work that out in a myriad of ways. I wish Katie was here this morning, because this is Katie's theology. She got up last Saturday, Sunday, whenever it was, Sunday, and she said, forgive me, I might be putting words into her mouth. She wants to go and do midwifery, and there was a little bit of, but what I'm really worried about is that that might not be what God wants me to do. I want to say, Katie, it's better than that. It's much, much better than that. Put this alongside, I'm off script now. Put this alongside Psalm 37 verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. Why on earth would God wire you up with something you love and then tell you to do something else? And I wasn't going to say this, and I, I don't know, there's a girl called Andrea Cheldercott when I was growing up, right? And she fancied me. <laughs> right? We were in the same youth group. And it was a little bit awkward. She was a lovely girl. And I honestly, nobody told me this, but I honestly wrestled with the fact, because she was lovely, but I didn't fancy her, right? What if that is the one right person that God's got for me to marry? What am I going to do then? And one day it dawned on me. It's one of the biggest theological moments in my life, right? Oh, hang on a minute. God wouldn't ask me to marry someone I didn't find attractive. Why would he do that? He's better than that. Now, I know that doesn't answer all your questions, but it's really, really good. So when you get to the job thing, friends, it's like this job or this job, God says, I don't mind, you choose. If you choose a wrong door, and there are wrong doors, God's even good enough to say, well, that's going to make it really difficult. But if your heart's right, I can work with you still. Now, what that does, I've got to find myself on my notes now because I've got some really good things to say. Oh, yeah. Let me come to that in a minute. See, look, think of it this way. As a parent, right, or a grandparent, you don't want to be telling your grown-up children what to eat, what to wear, what to do, who to go out with, who to marry. Ooh, ooh, some of us need to be careful on that one, don't we? As a parent, you want them to grow and make their own choice and become people of integrity and truth and great character and sound judgment. My mum once said, and she meant this, she said when asked, what do you want your children to do, talking about me, she said, I don't mind what he does, he can be a dustman, and I was, if he loves the Lord. So what she's basically saying is, I don't care what he does as long as he's got a heart for God. And I was a dustman. Be kind to your dustman. Cleansing operative, actually, I was. (laughs) It's true. That was what I'm paying Cleansing operative. What's that? Dustman. As a parent, you want them to grow. You want them to be people of integrity. And we all know that doesn't happen unless if they never have to figure it out on their own. You have to let them go, don't you? A little bit at a time, but you have to let them go. They'll have to make lots and lots and lots of decisions, some of which they'll get wrong, some of which they'll get heinously wrong. But that's the way we learn. And mostly God says, you choose, you decide. Because God is in the business of our character, and God is the God of the open door. He loves yes. He loves adventure. And I think with this God and with this theology, friends, here's the thing, right? For some of you going to really, this is going to be a massive release. You don't have to be afraid of failure. How many of us spend our life trying to figure out what God, and feeling guilty when we think we got it wrong? 
Well, maybe there are some times when you need to feel guilty, and that's the right response, because you did do something wrong and stupid, and, and you look at it and think, yeah, yeah, I knew I shouldn't have done that. But most of the time, we try really hard, and God says, okay, it's good enough. I don't have to be afraid of circumstances, because there is always a door. That was a really challenging line when I wrote that. And it still is. But I believe it's true. There is always an open door, always an opportunity of a door that opens into God's presence. It's great news because we don't have to live under the tyranny of the perfect choice. And for you perfectionists out there, right? I can only remember my mum saying a couple of things about me. I had a good eye for colour, as you can tell, and I was a perfectionist. I never knew what that meant. What I now mean is it drives me nuts. Because I spend hours and hours and hours trying to think, oh, all right. For those of you who are perfectionists, perfectionism is not a Christian virtue. Jesus doesn't ask you to be perfect. And the truth is, you won't be perfect this side of glory. So you might as well give it up. <laughs> now I say that with all, no, I say that seriously. I know it sounds funny, but it's, for those of us who struggle with it, it's really serious stuff. It doesn't mean to say you just don't care. It means you don't have to live under the tyranny of always having to get it right. Because God says, you know what? Don't matter. It's your heart. It's your heart. Okay, I've got to stop. Yeah, we're running out of time. <laughs> anyway, I'm nearly at the end. Okay. That's, uh, we don't have to live under the tyranny of a person. That's because um, God can use a wrong door if I go through it with the right heart. Okay. And I think that frees us up, friends, to live lives bursting with life we can embrace every day we can embrace open doors that god places before us and if we want to experience more of god in our lives and we want to see the extraordinary and the ordinary then one way to do it the best way to do it is to look for the open doors which come every day and respond with a great yes to moments of divine opportunity amen